You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. we got a flurry of recruiting news in Auburn. And also, Texas A&M has a very interesting player entering the transfer portal. And who is Florida's highest-rated defensive back? You're probably thinking C.J. Henderson, right? Got to be. Well, we'll discuss that. Also, a season preview of Alabama as well. And with the the Major League Baseball trade deadline upon us, uh, we are going to discuss what teams in the SEC, if they could, would trade for an upgrade because of a position of need on their current program. It doesn't really work like that, Chris, but we're going to give it a shot anyway. There you go. It works like that on this podcast. That's all that really matters, does it? (laughs) That's another way to say that might be a little bit of a hole if things don't go right for your team. That's exactly right. And uh, I do want to remind you uh, that you need to go and uh, get Manscaped. Uh, How about Manscaped? You use the uh, promo code uh, locked on and you'll get a fantastic discount. Uh, there with Manscaped, and it is the perfect, uh, perfect uh, utensils, shall I say, for the uh, nether regions. So uh, get Manscaped. Trust me. Check it out. Okay, let's begin with some newsy notes, and I want to start with Auburn, as there were a flurry, flurry of uh, recruits, commits that are uh, certainly interested in, in the Tigers, which I always find interesting, uh, because if you have a coach that's on the hot seat, it doesn't really seem to affect recruiting, from my experience, until it gets really, really, really hot. What do you think? Yeah, and of course, with the early commitments, uh, you know, right now, Gus is fine until he's not fine. I and mean, he may be fine, but that, that whole cycle has moved up to the point where you normally had the flurry of, you know, maybe you have four or five commitments into December and most of the recruiting was done in January. Well, you change a coach. You don't know who the coach is. You don't know who it's going to be. There's always that. Well, now kids are having to decide earlier and they're deciding based on who the coach is. Now, it doesn't mean that they're binding and that they can't change it, but to secure their position, this is where they like to be. And you mentioned Auburn, Andre Stewart. Uh, here's the thing. It's a verbal way out there. 2022. Now you want to talk early. Now we're talking 2022 class. I mean, look, I, I love Gus. I hope he's there and doing well, but you talking about taking the leap of faith. This is a guy that, that obviously believes in what they've got going or he doesn't care who's coping, the, the coaching on the planes. He likes him. He's six feet, 160 folks. He's one sixty because he's going to be in the class of 2020. He hadn't finished puberty yet. I mean, he's got to grow. He's a good looking kid. Uh, they also got a commitment uh, from uh, quarterback Aaron McLaughlin in the class of 2020. Big, strong-armed kid, pretty good athletic ability, but a pocket guy. Um, he, they also got his teammate, uh, Zevion Capers, who's also in the commitment classroom, Alpharetta, Georgia. So some good news for Auburn uh, down the road in recruiting. And Texas A&M, um, I'm not sure that we would talk about a uh, redshirt sophomore fullback entering the transfer portal unless he had this last name, uh, Ben Miles, 
I got a feeling where he might head head uh, once he gets through the portal. Oh, please tell, Dave. Please tell. <laughs> Maybe somewhere with a state that starts with K. It, it could be. You know, the the brother Manny is headed there. Uh, left North Carolina. So, yeah, um, I, I could see. Obviously, this the handwriting's on the wall. Ben's a fullback. Ben Miles, good kid. Uh, loved him. Um, Gosh, I mean, uh, it, it just start to really, Dave, doesn't it start to hit you? I mean, those kids were babes. I mean, they were like, and they were in diapers when I remember him. I mean, now, now the, the college years, but I see that with kids around the neighborhood that grow up. So anyway, I regress. I kind of went into a senior moment, but no, I think Ben and Manny will join their dad. And, um, you know, I, I kind of look at this less his age. I think it means an awful lot to him to have his kids around him. Um, in fact, the, the, the daughter was, uh, I called her smacker. She is, I think she's doing some TV work in Baton Rouge or in, in your profession, the media world. She was, I don't know if she was the oldest or whatever. Anyway, she was a really good swimmer at Texas. Uh, I think he likes the fact these kids are at the college age that could live at near home, be together. You know, this is kind of the, the lesser's retirement gig, if you will in college football and uh, how long it'll last. Don't know, but I, I see this and both those kids are quite frankly limited in terms of ability to play at North Carolina or A&M. And, and I'm being kind, you know, maybe they can get on the field and, and heaven dead is the head coach on a roster. That's not very good. It makes some sense football wise. If you think about it on top of the personal Avenue, if you go on playing time, <laughs> there are not many places better to go in the power five than at Kansas. No, uh, going to Florida, uh, if you would have asked me, Dave, who's the highest rated defensive back on Florida's team, I would have said, well, it's got to be C.J. Henderson, the cornerback. He's probably going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft, but that's not necessarily the case. And why? Well, let me backtrack. I do think said uh, C.J. Henderson's going to be the higher pick. He's the better pro prospect. The guy that graded out the best for the Florida coaches last year in the secondary, that is assignment, effort, technique, was Brad Stewart, the safety, uh, the kid from New Orleans. I uh, played 11 games. Uh, it, it Just playing in their scheme from an assignment standpoint, he graded out the best. I don't think he's the more, the more talented guy. In fact, he's not. Uh, Henderson is. So that's one of the things, and that's why I put it up in uh, the, the, the notebooks at LandryFootball.com, because things like that, are really important just because a guy's a better pro prospect or more talented doesn't mean that he grades out the best on a given day, a given week during the, during the course of the year. And in that case, I thought it was an interesting nugget that he graded out the best as a player in their scheme assignment and technique wise, but CJ Henderson's a better player in short. Uh, they got a good secondary at Florida, and it goes beyond just those two. They got some other guys that can play. That secondary, LSU secondary, Auburn secondary, Al- Alabama secondary, that leads away. Oh, and Georgia secondary, some pretty good guys that can play, and a lot of them are going to play on the next level. So should that concern NFL scouts at all that Henderson maybe isn't dotting his I's and crossing his T's? No, no, because he's graded out well. It's just that this is more of what Brad Stewart's done. CJ's been fine, and he's graded out well. Stewart has just done better in terms of what they asked him to do, which is not all that unusual. If you look at guys that are the most talented, 
they sometimes don't do things from a technique and an assignment standpoint as well. They rely on athletic ability a little bit more. The guys that are not as overly talented, that grade out well, Dave, why do they grade out well? Because they do all the little things very, very well. I mean, they do. I mean, if you look at Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, and you were to put them in a in a in an athletic looking contest, they would not impress you. Okay, but it, it's what they do from the neck up, and their timing, their ability to see things before they happen quicker than others, that made them Hall of Famers. Um, and you see that at other positions too. Ray Lewis was not the most athletic guy. Ray Lewis, his workout was not very good at Miami. His overall athletic qualities, he was not just another guy, but he was just a cut above what we call a JAG player, J-A-G, just another guy. He was better than that, but what made him great was his anticipation, his toughness, his leadership, his passion, his desire was off the charts. You know, uh, he graded out better because he had to. If he played the game like Lawrence Taylor, Lawrence Taylor missed more assignments, did more things wrong than you could shake a stick at. I mean, there are more red marks on film grading on him than you could ever imagine for a guy like that. The guy, when he did things wrong, it, it, he, he made it right. Because he was so explosive and you no one could block him that even when he did it, when he used bad hand usage, when he went the wrong direction, he just changed directions. And he got there better than the guy that did use good technique. So remember, when you're grading a player, you're grading them in different skill sets in different areas. And so, no, I would not be concerned about CJ. He's graded out well. It's just that Brad gets probably more out of his ability because he doesn't have as much ability as CJ. So that happens a lot. A guy who's a great mobile quarterback, you know why they tend to not be as good going through read progressions? Because they take off and run. You know, if you're necessity is the mother of invention, right? So Peyton Manning's not going to say, oh, they're in man coverage. I'm taking off. I'm, I see 18 yards are coming. You know what? That's not going to happen. Because he says, no, 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 I got, I got to find the open guy. Whereas Michael Vick, he saw man coverage. He said, I can go read progressions. You know, so w- did he not go through read progressions because he wasn't smart? Did he not go through read progressions because he wasn't patient? Well, probably maybe a little bit. He, he, he wasn't dumb. But part of the reason why he wasn't as good at reading defenses it's because he didn't read them very long. Because when it got just tense in the pocket, he took off and he ran. He was only the best running back on their team. So yeah. that that leads you to where you want to go. You don't have mobility. You better find a way to get the ball out quick. And you better find a way to go quickly through progressions. Because if you don't and you hold the ball and you can't move, you're going to be sacked a million times and you won't survive in the league. So that's kind of what we do and how we grade it. So it is not a negative on CJ. Just an indication and some props out to Mr. Stewart, who graded out very, very well. Here's my strange analogy of the day, and uh, that is with uh, with Lawrence Taylor. When I was uh, a young guy, and you just stare at the football the whole time, that's all you know to look at when you're at that age. I guess I was uh, 12, 13, 14 years old. And uh, he was the Dale Earnhardt Sr. 
of football. Because if you're at a Bristol race, you watch the lead, but you always kept one eye on Dale Earnhardt Sr. if he wasn't in the lead. Taylor was that player. Uh, you would watch the ball, but you would love to watch where he ran around. And that was almost as entertaining as what happened uh, with the ball. And, so, And, you know, I don't want to take us too far off because we've got a lot to get to. But I think this is really interesting because it plays to your point. I don't need to. Anyone that had any remembrances and watched Lawrence Taylor play or even the highlights, I don't need to tell, hey, you know, Lawrence Taylor was really good. Everybody knows how great he was. But, but just to give you an idea how things are, if I told you who was the guy that he had the toughest time going against as a blocker, you would come to mind and you would, oh, Anthony Munoz or this guy, you would come up with a list of out there of 50 names of really good tackles. And none of them would make the list. I could give you 10,000 guesses, and you wouldn't guess the guy that gave him the most trouble. And it was a guy by the name of Irv Pankey of the Rams. Not Jackie Slater, who's the all-pro, Irv Pankey. Why Irv got under his skin, Irv really had a quick power set, and he, he really outworked people in terms of how he could read their pass rush moves, and he can anticipate Lawrence a little bit more. Irv Pankey gave him so much trouble that Parcells one day, when they were getting ready to play the Rams that week, Parcells bought a plane ticket. And it was from um, New York, LaGuardia, to New Orleans. And he put it in Lawrence Taylor's locker. And this was this was vintage Parcells motivation. On the plane ticket was a letter that the secretary with Bill's names wrote. He says, this ticket, we're playing the Rams this week. And since you can't beat Irv Pankey, we're sending you to New Orleans this week. And you get the other 56, Pat Swilling, to come up and play for us. <laughs> How do you like that coming into your locker of money? And and it's it, it, you know, and and he he had a really he read, hit a much better game that it, it was it you know it was was one of the ways that boy nobody could yank your chain more than Parcells. He'd grab you as a coach and say, Dave, so you know, I'm gonna rip you two new holes today. I'm gonna be on you. Even when things go, I'm going to rip you. I'm, you're going to get blamed for everything today. And you think, well, what, what an a-hole. Why would you? Because that was his way. He was going to rip you so much that if you coached the defensive line or the linebackers, he would get that defensive line players because those guys weren't responding, so he was going to attack the coach. And so he would get that defensive line who loved you because you coached them. He was going to embarrass you so much in front of those players that those players would have your back and they would up their game. That's how he did. Now that's not for everybody. And some <laughs> no. think that's a, that's a lot of stuff. And you heard the story that, that Bart Starr went to Vince Lombardi and said, if you're going to rip me in front of my team and you want me to lead this offense, you know, it won't work. You, if I got a butt tune, you pull me in your office. But you don't rip me in front of this team, and, and, and Lombardi never did it again. So it's, it's different strokes for different folks, different positions, how you do it. But, but that's an example, too. But I, I thought it was interesting because you would never think Irv Pinky would give um, Lawrence Taylor trouble. And then, 
you know, I, I thought it was a little neat story. I have a million Parcel stories, but um, anyway, you know, uh, the uh, <laughs> Taylor would go buy McDonald's and get a Happy Meal and, and leave it on Parcel's desk because Parcel's was known to uh, he he had he had uh, I think he had a uh, frequent flyer club to McDonald's, uh, yeah. but it, it was you know it's just <laughs> a lot of little things that that get to it. But no, it's it's the the whole point and I'm going off on a tangent, but. Uh, again, how players fit and how players play against certain players, how they go technique-wise. Sometimes what makes a player great is not what you think. It's easy to say, oh, this guy's great, the finished product. What makes him great? That's what coaching is. Okay, that's what go. it is. Figuring out what it is, and that's why sometimes the guys with lethal ability can have more production because you got to figure that out as a coach. A lot of psychology there, so uh, I don't know how I would respond to that. But <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> in radio, you don't have to worry about it. Coming up... Uh, we're going to talk about some of the big gaping holes that uh, some teams have. If they could trade like they do in Major League Baseball, uh, what exactly would they be willing to give up a couple of five-star uh, committed prospects? We'll discuss that. And what SEC teams um, uh, coming up uh, would like to do that uh, upgrade and also a season preview of Alabama. Stay tuned. You're locked on. SEC football podcast support of the Locked On SEC football podcast comes from Manscaped. Number one in men's below the belt grooming. You may have seen them with Shark Tank. Manscaping offers precision engineered tools for down there. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Locked On at manscaped.com. 20% off at manscaped.com with the promo code Locked On. Stay tuned. More after this with Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. You are Locked On SEC football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day welcome back you're locked on sec football podcast the major league baseball tra- trade deadline uh is august the 31st and i wanted to pose this question uh to chris now it, it can't be i'm gonna put some parameters on it if you don't mind it can't okay. be a, a team like let's say arkansas that has so many holes that they couldn't trade and fill them all up mm-hmm. um I don't think it can be anybody like Alabama because really they don't have a significant hole, but somewhere in between, if a team could suddenly send a couple of their five-star commitments for the 2020 class, their farm system, so to speak, and upgrade a position, what are two, three, four, five teams, however many you can think of, that would love to take part in a college football trade in the SEC and be um, uh, go from good to very good or maybe great? Well, the first one that comes to mind in the league would be as much as Auburn likes their young quarterbacks, um, I can tell you they would love to have go back and find, you know, maybe not Cam Newton, maybe that's too ambitious, but find somebody that is experienced and got a lot of snaps under their belt and more proven to go with this defense and what I think is going to have a chance to be a pretty good offense a more proven quarterback that that would put Auburn in a different level, even with their schedule. And I think you could probably put them on a different level. And in fact, if the quarterbacks do come alive, they might be a bigger player than people might think. Um, then we're going to eliminate. I think I think Mississippi State doesn't have one or two, and definitely Ole Miss and Arkansas would fit into the category of we're not going to go with those guys. Um, I think with Georgia. Um, I, I think it would be a, a great difference-making receiver. And we can only do one player, right? One player, 
yeah. completely. Then it, then I'm going to take one receiver. I was going to, I was going to ask for two receivers at Georgia, but I'm going to give Georgia one receiver so they can trade to get one of Clemson's or Alabama's receivers. They would absolutely love that. Um, and, and to be honest with you, those for for South Carolina, how about trade for one of Georgia's running backs? Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, you know that 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 would be real. You know, you mentioned all right. Tennessee would fall into the category of they need more than that. I mean, I'd, I'd give them an elite offensive lineman. It's not going to you know change the the face of what they're doing, but uh, that those are the teams that I think can have impact. Now, Florida, you know, um, you, you they're they're really good in a lot of areas, but maybe even another guy, um, another pass rusher might might get them a little bit closer. For LSU, um, you know, maybe again, they another defensive lineman, maybe a tight end. Now, I know you said Alabama doesn't. Alabama or LSU's may maybe don't apply, but. I'll I'll say this, I'll cheat and say, if Alabama could get a proven tight end, LSU as well, that that might help their offenses out. Uh, but we'll leave them off the table. A and M is in good position, but not enough to where it would make the difference to put them over the top. But I definitely would like to add another pass rusher for them because I think, like by example, they're not as good as Auburn is on the defensive side. They're getting there, got some good players, but maybe another, you know, impact playmaker on defense is what I think they'd like to, to like to get. Maybe even a guy in the secondary. So uh, I'd split the difference between the two. Those are those would be the tri- if we were doing this and it was midway through the SEC season, and we could make those trades and say this could get the team over the top. Those were things would jump out, as you mentioned. Wouldn't be necessary for Alabama, probably not for Georgia, but that's some uh, that's some some of my thoughts. Okay, I know you like Joe Burrow, and I do too. We're, we're both fans of his. But uh-huh. what about trading Joe Burrow for a Tua? If and oh, throw in a, 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 absolutely, throw in a, yeah, yeah. Um, and, I would and you throw in you throw in a five star prospect that's committed. Well, um. There's no doubt two is more talented than Burrow, but would they be able, would two be as good at LSU with their offense as is at Alabama? I don't think so. I think he'd be more mistake prone. So, but there's, listen, now, if you want to talk quarterbacks, most of these teams, I mean, I I'd make the case and I know this is kind of off and you'd probably scold me for doing this, but if I were Alabama and I were Georgia, you know, the biggest thing I would want if I were them to trade for is a really good backup quarterback. Somebody that can do what Jalen Hurts did last year. That's what Georgia and Alabama needs because the starters go down. We're having a completely different conversation nationally and in the league. So that's the biggest thing that jumps out at me. But I was trying to keep it because everybody's got some things that they can get better on. But I don't, if you're asking me, if you just remove Tua out of Alabama and put him at LSU, and would LSU beat Bama? No, because Alabama would have cultivated their quarterback position with somebody different and still be a better football team and a better coach team. Now, it would probably close the gap, but there again, you have to make some assumptions that maybe LSU would have done a better job in the last year or so with a Tua to develop them to this point to where he'd be 
a quarterback that could do what he's doing at Alabama at LSU because running the offense the way LSU's run it with Tua, um, if Tua would have been at LSU last year and Jalen Hurts is starting at Alabama, Alabama's still beating LSU. You know, Tua, you just don't throw Tua because he throws, makes big plays at Alabama that he's going to do the same thing in a different offense that's not as well coached at LSU. You're not going to get the same result. So Jalen Hurts at Alabama beats Tua at LSU if they're playing last year, if you're going to make that comparison. And, you know, if you did it this year, Alabama's quarterback situation would have been orchestrated differently. They would have, uh, well, first of all, Jalen Hurts would still be at Alabama, right? He wouldn't have transferred, and you'd still have the same situation. So I think, I, yes, I think it would be a good trade for LSU. Would it put them over the top, which is probably not what you're asking, but you just would it, would it be a good move for LSU? Yes, but I'd say I'd trade for them, but part of the package deal would be have to have somebody that would be uh, a little bit more seasoned in being able to run the type of offense that's going to accentuate what, uh, what Alabama does well. And I, I think Alabama's running game is deeper and better, and that makes – and the receivers are better than LSU, although LSUs are good and good backs – Alabama's better. So the talent around them makes a huge difference. So I don't think Tua puts LSU over Alabama. I think it would put them closer. I think that was officially the most abstract topic we've ever had on your Locked on SEC football podcast. So, uh, but yeah, that's interesting. Even with Tua, an upgrade at quarterback. I, I hope abstract and not annoying. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it was my idea to go abstract, but I think I it worked. It. All right. So. Coming up, we'll have a season preview of the Crimson Tide. So stay tuned. More after this at your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. He's Chris Landry at LandryFootball.com. I'm Dave Hooker. You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. It is your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. We're going to talk some Alabama Crimson Tide season preview of every single team and most believe that they're going to win the conference yet again, definitely be in the college football playoff and quite possibly win another national title. What say you, uh, Chris, uh, do you agree with that? Yes. Let's move on. No, I just, I was about to say, Alabama, they're good. We can leave it at that. No, they're really good. Um, we've, we've nibbled at, you know, a lot of these topics over the past guy, what have we, we've been doing this podcast now, got, you know, 10, 12 weeks. Uh, if you're just joining us, you know, we, we do this all year long. We've talked about Alabama and where they are coming off the, for them, very disappointing and blowout loss to Clemson. And where are they as a program? Well, they're still very talented. Um, I think they got a little bit away from their identity last year. That's been talked about a lot by Nick Saban. But what does that really mean? Okay, I, I think that while they got really explosive offensively and they were able to get away with it in the regular season and likely could do the same again this year, that when they got into the SEC championship game and in the playoffs, particularly in the second half against Oklahoma, they, they had a big lead on Oklahoma. And then, of course, against Clemson, they were the same team that they were all last year, but it was exposed more that they were a little bit different than they have been in the past. And that is – they got away from the run game a little bit. They became a little bit too pass happy. And let me explain that there's an identity with your offensive line that when you become a pass protection team, 
The whole concept as an offensive line is you don't strike the defense. You come out of your stance, and you're in a protection mode. Think about it. If somebody's coming at you and attacking you, you're just kind of backing up and defending yourself. That's pass protection. With run blocking, you're attacking somebody. You're going after them. You're charging them, and you're getting the first blow. And so there's an identity with that. And so what happened is when they were not able to continue to explode on Oklahoma in the second half, Oklahoma got back in the game. Alabama's defense was on the field too much. Against Clemson the entire game, Alabama couldn't establish a run. Well, why is it? They got good backs. They got a good offensive line. Well, they were spending more time pass blocking, and they lost their identity to come off the ball. And when you struggle against a great defensive line, I mean generationally great defensive line that Clemson had, there you go. You can't turn it on like the faucet, okay? It's just you can't turn it on and off. Your identity is established on how you play. And how you play on offense is going to affect how you play on defense. There's a reason why they score all those points in the Big 12. And as everybody says, well, the defenses stink. Well, they stink because they're on the field way too much. They put their best players on offense. So, of course, they're going to quote-unquote stink. They don't really stink. They just are not nearly as good relative to their offense. The SEC in Alabama this past year, they were able to explode on offense. So everybody thinks, oh, man, they can throw it around the yard and score 60 points, and they shut everybody out, and it'll be 60 to 10 every game. doesn't work that way because when you're up and down the field, then all of a sudden instead of playing 60 snaps of defense, you're playing 80, 85, 90, and those same elite players – are not as good. Remember when Deshaun Watson went down the field on Alabama and it looked like Alabama had a Swiss cheese defense and that was a generationally great defense? You know why? Because they were on the field for 99 snaps. If they're on the field for snaps 60 to 65 to 66, Clemson's probably not going down the field. That defense had spaghetti legs. They, you know, just you can't do that. So I think as Alabama goes into this year, there are two things that jump out at me, Dave. As we can, I can go through every position for you. They're, they're, trust me, they're loaded. And I'll, I'll touch on a couple of things. But the biggest thing that I want to focus on Alabama is, all right, they got to gotta burr up their saddle about, you know, they're no longer the best program in the country Clemson is. They got bushwhacked in the championship game. You're embarrassed. Can you even get back? Is the program declining? Is, you know, is everybody caught up to all this stuff? It's Georgia's year. You're lucky to beat Georgia two times the last couple of years. They're better than you. They're just as talented. They hear all that stuff. The best Saban teams, Dave, are the ones that when they don't win the previous year, he's got them where he wants them. Players listen to you more after a loss than after a win. After the win... They want to hear what their girlfriends and their friends are telling them how great they are. After a after a, after a loss, now they 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 don't they they are looking for answers. So I think that the attitude's going to be even heightened. I think there's a change in the coaching staff because the previous staff he had hired was a reaction to the recruiting success at Georgia. Georgia out recruited him, so Nick made changes to get better recruiters, and in doing so. He kind of hurt his on-field play-calling and issues. Tosh LePoy, with no mention publicly, because they never do, 
Play calling duties were switched from Tasha LaFore to Pete Golding during the middle of the year. Nick got involved. It's not working. Now, they were winning all those games. He switched it because he knew it wasn't working. He knew that the wheels were getting wobbly. And at that point, you can make some change, but not substantive changes. And, and I think those things have been stabilized. We'll see. But I think they're going to run the football. I think they're going to still throw it a bunch. But I think they're going to try to play better game control, and that's going to help their defense. I think they're young on the defensive front, as they always are, because they always have great players, and they go early, and then you got young guys. They'll be two freshmen that will have impacts on the defensive line. It's a good linebacker unit. It's going to be a better defense at Alabama this year than last year, all around. Scary, I know, but they are. The quarterback, two has got to stay healthy. I think they're not going, they're going to rein him in to the point of no foolish runs, uh, be smart, learn how to slide, learn how to get out of bounds, and work the check down. Get the ball to the playmakers and not have any as much runs. Not that he ran a lot, but they want to reduce it even more. And then secondly, get the ball out of your hands. Don't hold it because, because your offensive line up against most defensive lines, you can protect for eight seconds, a ridiculous amount of time. You can spin around, wait for Judy to break his route and then play pitch and catch like yard ball. That's not the football we want to play. It may be exciting and it may get us to score 55 points, but that's not what we want. We want the ball out quickly. The first guy's not there. He's not open. Check it down. Get it to a back. Get it to a receiver on a shorter route. Do that. Play more ball control. We got to score points, but we got to play more ball control. And if you do that, you know, that's going to make you more seamless when you play against better teams. Because what happens if you can't extend the plays for six and seven seconds against Clemson or against Georgia? Well, then all of a sudden, your game plan is done. You can't just go back to running the football when you haven't run it as physically as you did all year. It's about an identity. Running the football is not about yards. It's about rushing attempts. The more you rush the football, the more you slow down a defense's charge as a pass rusher, and the more you play game control, the more you dominate and wear out opponents. So the more you run the football, the less they're going to be able to rush the passer. Then that's where you take advantage of throwing deep. That's where you get the big plays, and that's what you have to do. I think you're going to see more of that. Concerned about experience at backup quarterback. Really good at running back. Loaded at receiver as good as there is in the country. Going to have a different look at tight end. They don't have that elite tight end, but they can have a serviceable guy. Offensive line will be good again. Defensive line will be young, but loaded again. Linebacker's really good. Secondary's really good. They're always good in coverage units, return units. They're going to experiment with a couple of those speedy receivers in the kick return game, maybe even better. Look like the kicking game with the Boulevard got a little bit better. That's always an issue in close games with Alabama. Look, this is, would be a shock to me if they're not in the playoffs. They have the best team in a schedule that's manageable. It's not, a, it's not as easy a schedule as Clemson, but it is not that difficult. I mean, they still got to play LSU. They still got to play Auburn, and they're going to eventually – probably have to play Georgia in the SEC championship game. But this is an elite team that would be not surprising, but shocking to me if they don't make the playoffs, un- unless they have a, an injury to Tua. I, I can go into more specifics, and we can as time goes on, but 
to me, this is an elite team that continues to be at an elite level. And, oh, by the way, Clemson's getting all the love, and people are throwing dirt on Alabama, and they're just fine with that. Yeah, I bet. Uh, that, I would rather be in that uh, mentality for sure. It's a, there's, there's a similar thing that happens in radio. I always tell interns, don't let your family and friends tell you how good they are because they like hanging out with you. So, of course, they're going to like you on the radio. So don't listen to them at all. <laughs> they don't they don't count. Uh, so that's your Locked on SEC Football podcast. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, with Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com, I'm Dave Hooker, your Locked on SEC Football podcast.